Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Today, I'm continuing this series entitled His Story, Our Story. We kicked this off for the first of the year, and we said that this was going to be a series that is going to reoccur this year, like it's going to pop up several more times this year. And the reason for that is because we believe that God's story is our story, and that he is continuing his story as he writes our story. And, and what we do is we're taking a look through this series, going back to Scripture, taking a look at some of the characters, the story of God, and we're looking at that and figuring out how does that play out in our lives. Like, what are the attributes and characteristics that we see played out in Scripture, and are those flowing in and through me to the world around us? And so uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about this idea of redemption. Uh, We also talked about uh, forgiveness last week. Today, we're on a different subject. Uh, I want to send you over to Genesis chapter 22, so head over to Genesis chapter 22, uh, and if you want, uh, raise your hand. we got some guys coming up and down the aisle. They'll hand you a Bible if you need one. Uh, you'll notice there's some page numbers up here on the screen that corresponds to those Bibles they're passing out, so it makes it nice and easy to find that passage. Uh, of course, we're in Genesis today, so it's pretty easy, page uh, 15. So it's right there up front, so it won't be hard to find, but we definitely want you reading along with us, because this is what we say. Uh, don't take my word for it. I want you to read the Word of God for yourself, because when we open up the Word of God, what we're doing is we're inviting the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives, to to convict us, to direct us, to encourage us. And so I I want that for you. And so please grab one of those and then open up with us today. Uh, As you notice up here on the stage, the last couple of weeks, we've had a couple of items. Uh, We've got this this tree over here to my right. Uh, We've got a cross over here to the left. And uh, when we covered this a few weeks ago, we were talking about the idea that uh, the story starts off with God in creation, creating mankind. And we said that there was a a bad turn. Uh, What he did is he designed and created us for a perfect relationship forever. But he didn't want that to come from somebody that he told and they had to do it. He wanted us to do it because we loved him and we wanted it on our end. And so he gave us a choice. and, And that choice came in the form of the first tree. He planted two trees in the garden, in the middle of the garden. One was the tree of life. The other one was the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he, and he told them, look, you can eat from anything. Just don't eat from that one. And that was their, their decision. Do we follow God? Do we chase after him? Or do we do our own thing? Do we rely on him to tell us what right and wrong is? Or, or do we decide for ourselves? And unfortunately, in that first story that we read in Genesis, we chose poorly. And we chose to do it on our own. And because of that, sin sin entered into the picture, and it broke the relationship that we had with God, this this perfect, eternal relationship. It broke it. It shattered it. And from that point on, it's been a struggle. And what we've learned is that we have been striving this whole time to find our way back to God, and God has been calling us back to him. Today, I want to talk to you about a subject that's near and dear to my heart. It's one I struggle with, I'll be honest with you. So today, as I'm preaching, I'm preaching more to me than I am to you. But I need it. 
because I want to talk to you about trust. Because really, this is what it came down to in the garden in that first tree. Do we trust God or do we not? And so let me ask you, do you trust God? Do you trust him, really, with all aspects of your life, with, with finances, with school, with, with your career, with the next decision, with the next bill? Do you trust God? And, and I want you to answer that question for me very quickly, just in your mind and heart. Do you trust God? Because I hope to help us uh, gain a deeper understanding of what it means to trust God today. Because I do believe that many of us say yes, but in reality, we don't. Now, uh, the story that we're looking at today comes a little bit later. I kind of went through the story of the Bible a couple of weeks ago, and and where we're at today is is we've come out of creation. There was sin at that first tree. They broke that relationship. They're pushed out of the garden. They begin to multiply. It doesn't take long for, for what God told them that, hey, if you choose that, death will come. And in that second generation, we see a brother kill a brother. And from that point on, corruption sets in and we just get worse. They grow to such a point that, that God looks at man and says, there, there's, not even, there's not even a good thought. Like there's, there's no intention of their heart that's even good and, and there's nothing I can do with this. And so he, he wipes out mankind with a flood, saving one person, one righteous man by the name of Noah. And they start over again. And it doesn't take very long after that, they they begin to grow and the same things start to happen all over again. But God has already promised, look, I'm not going to do that again. So now I've got to come up with a better way. And so they grow to this great nation that we refer to as Babylon. And in the midst of this, there's a guy by the name of Abram. He's a righteous man. He walks out of Babylon. He leaves Babylon. And God takes note of him. And he begins to draw him close to him. And he begins to say, hey, look, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you and your family to show the rest of the world who I am so that they might turn back to me. And so he makes a covenant with Abraham. He changes his name to Abraham. And that's where we pick the story up is is later on in their life, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they're up there in years. You know, Abraham's probably 100 Sarah's right about 90, and God says, hey, uh, by the way, you're going to have a child. And I love that story when you read through it, because it's so, it's just us, isn't it? Because she just bursts out into laughter. She starts laughing, like, yeah, right, like, that's ever going to happen. But it does. That's the crazy thing. Like, God can do whatever he wants, and and this 90-year-old lady has a child, and they name him Isaac. And you can imagine, if you've been waiting that long for a child, you want a child, and, and that's that is the desire of your heart, and at the age of 90, you have a, a son. Can you imagine how you would cherish that son? How you would love that son? I mean, it would almost become your life. Like, that, that would be so important to you. And then in Genesis chapter 22, as this young boy is growing, we run into a story that sometimes is very difficult to take. And uh, that's where we want to dwell today. So you're going to stay in this one chapter all day today. We're not going to be jumping around. And so let's take a look at this from the very beginning. Uh, Genesis chapter 21. And, and as we read this, here's what I want you to keep in mind. Most scholars believe that Abraham is probably somewhere between 115 to 130 years old at this time. They believe Isaac's between 12 to 34. You know, you read scholars, they have these different ranges. We don't know exactly how old he is, but here's what I want you to keep in mind. They're both old enough to make their own decisions. And so take a look at the story. Here we go. 
Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. Now, my question to you on this is, is God's calling Abraham, as he calls Abraham, he calls each and every one of us. Do you know that? He calls each and every one of us. And my question to you on this first verse is just this. Do you trust God's call? Do you trust his call? And so, so often when we, we talk about this or we ask this question, we go, oh, yeah, yeah, I trust God's call. But here's what it comes down to for me. Do I truly believe that God knows me? Like, do, do I truly believe that we have a God who is intimately involved in our life? Like, he knows what we're doing. He knows what we think. And, and here's the thing. Again, I will say this. Many people in church will say yes to that, but they don't live that way. Do you trust God's call? Because he's placed a calling on each of your lives. He's placed a calling upon my life. And I think about my own life, and I go, what, what a crazy calling. Like, all the things I did, I was a subpar student. I love sports more than I love school, and that caused all kinds of problems. I, I, I've apologized profusely to my parents for the type of son I was. And, and I leave that, and I go into everything from snack food to construction to law enforcement. And down the road, I'm doing volunteer youth work because of my, my own story, because my story is so wrecked because I got my high school girlfriend uh, pregnant. And so I'm like, I don't want any other high school kid to go through this. And so we need to work with high school students and, and hopefully keep, keep them from making the same mistake. And in the midst of all of that, I baptized this high school boy and it kills me. Like in that moment, I baptize him, I bring him up out of the water, my heart just breaks. Like I'm not done. Like I know for what I want to do with the rest of my life. I know what God is calling me to do in that moment. And it changed everything. I was done, done with all the other stuff. And it led us into full-time ministry. That was not my plan. That was not what I wanted to do. But that was God's calling. Do you trust God's calling on your life? Because he has one. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been, what you've done. And he wants to use you. He wants to use you to build his kingdom, to bring glory to his name. Do you understand that? Do you, do, do you embrace that? Do you receive that? And do you trust God's calling on your life? Abraham did. I love Abraham's response because he's like, here I am. Abraham, here I am. What do you need, right? He trusts his calling, do you? Take a look at verses two and three. It says, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Then I... I Every time I read this, that, I struggle with that phrase because it's like God knows how much this son means to him. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Morah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place that God had told him. Now, this is rough. God, here am I. Um, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son. I want you to go to a mountain. I want you to sacrifice 
this son that you got in your old age that you desired and loved so much. Um, let me ask you this. Do you trust God's plan? Do you trust God's plan? Do you know that he has a plan for you? That he has something that he wants to accomplish in and through you? Do you trust God's plan, no matter how difficult it might be for you? Um, Abraham did. I mean, how many of you, we're only three verses into the story. How many of you, story, uh, how many of you already don't like this story? I mean, you're like, hey, can we do a different chapter this week? Some of you are like new to church and you're like, what in the world did I just walk into, right? What kind of cult is this? Uh, but this is, by, this is scripture. This is right out of the Bible. I, I don't like this story, I'll be honest with you. And I, I didn't like it for many, many years because I really struggled with it. And even today, I struggle with it to a degree because I'm like, man, this trust is so amazing to me when I look at this story. But here's the deal. Uh, when you look at this story and you put it in context, you find out that at this point in, in, in human history, what they would do is they literally thought that there were gods who ruled over everything. And they thought in order to appease the gods, they had to sacrifice things. And they would start with things like vegetables and, and maybe a calf or a, you know, a dove or something. They would, they would sacrifice things. And if, if things weren't going their way or if they didn't get rain or, or if they didn't get pregnant or whatever it was, they might even up the ante a little bit. They would even sacrifice more. And then if things really, really got desperate, do you know what they did? They would actually sacrifice their kids. And this is something that happened. This was part of the culture back then. Why? Because they thought this is what you had to do to appease the gods so that you could continue to live. And they, they would get so desperate sometimes they would sacrifice their own children. Now, we look at that culture and we go, how dare, are you crazy just to, to, to live? Like you think rain comes from there? And I, I think, honestly, if we took Abraham out of his culture and brought him here today and dropped him in our culture and he saw how well we live and how much food we have and it's right there on the corner you can just go down and buy it and there's jobs and you can drive you don't even have to walk and you got something better than sandals and yet we still abort almost 900,000 babies every year I think he would think we were the sick ones am I hitting too hard this morning um so let's not make any judgment calls here let's just go okay this is a cultural thing it's not right but this is where the story's at this is what's happening and see, Abraham is being tested here. And here's what I believe. I believe that he trusted in God's plan. He trusted in God's plan because it says that he actually got up the next morning early. Like, okay, if that's what you want, let's go. And he got up early and he took off. He's trusting in God's plan. We continue in verse four. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will what? We will worship there. And then who? We will come right back. I love his faith here. I love his faith. Abraham trusted God's plan. He's like, look, I know I don't understand what all this whole, I just don't get it, but I'm going to go with it because God told me to do this. And so I'm going forward in this plan. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them walked on together. Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Now he's starting to wise up a little bit, right? Um, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, 
but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? You can almost hear a little crackle in his voice, like, I'm getting a little nervous here. Like, there's you and there's me and uh, fire and wood and a knife. Where's the sheep? God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. Look, this is the plan. This is where we're going but I believe God is going to take care of this. So here's my next question for you. Do you trust in God's provision? Do you trust that he's going to provide? Do you trust that he knows what you need and that he's going to take care of things? See, Abraham, I think, expresses his trust in God's provision in verse 8 because he says, look, God's going to provide a sheep. Like, yes, this is the plan. This is what he told me. But I believe that God's got something better in store. I'm moving forward because I trust him. And notice that Isaac says, hey, uh, where's the sacrifice? Abraham tells him, and Isaac follows. It, it says that they walked on together. Remember, he's of age. He, he could run. He could go a different direction if he wants. So often when we read this story, we think like Isaac has nothing on this story. Like he has no input. He can't do anything about it. I believe he's old enough that he could, he could probably overpower this 130-year-old guy but he doesn't. And here's what I want you to get if you're a parent in the room is that Isaac is learning from his father how to trust God explicitly. Okay. Father, if that's what you say, and I know you trust God, and so therefore I trust you, and so I'm gonna walk with you in this. And they walk on together. Verse nine. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it And then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now at this point, things are getting a little real, aren't they? Um, Do you think Isaac had any more questions? We're not told in Scripture whether he asked any, but my guess is he's probably trusting in this moment. Like, I don't get all this, but I'm trusting in God's call and in his plan and his provision. And so therefore, I'm submitting myself to that. Now, if the story ends here, I think we would make the mistake of thinking that the ultimate thing that God wants from us is the sacrifice of death. And and God doesn't want death from us. That's not what he wants. It's not this idea of, Lord, I'm ready to die for you. That's not what he wants. It's actually just the opposite. It's, God, I'm willing to identify with your death so that I can sacrifice my life to you so that I can dedicate the rest of my days to you. See, we seem to think that God wants us to give up things. And in this moment, I think that what what God is actually doing is he's purifying Abraham of holding anything higher than where he holds God. Like, I gave you a son in your old age. You love him. He's your one and only son. And then the way God refers to him, he knows that he cherishes this son. I just want to make sure that he's not higher in priority than I am in your life, Abraham. Will you give that to me? He's purifying Abraham of this. And he think, I think he does the exact same thing to you and me so often. God never tells us to give up stuff just for the sake of giving things up. He only tells us to give up things so that we might have the only thing worth having, which is a life with God himself. Now, it's a matter of loosening these bands and and breaking down these walls that stand between us and God so often. And I think those things are loosened or they're broken down immediately when we identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we do that, 
then we can let go of everything else and trust wholeheartedly in God, no matter what it is, no matter where he leads us. And when we start to do that, then we can enter into a relationship where God is actually the top of our priority list. He's the center of our life. He is our savior. He is the one that we serve. He is our king, and we give him everything, even if it doesn't make sense. Then we can sacrifice not our lives, but every day to the will of God. I think this is so critical for us to understand. See, it's of no value to God to give him a life of death. Actually, just the opposite. He calls you to be living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. That's what's acceptable to God. That's what he desires from us. That's why trust is so important. The problem with a living sacrifice, though, is it keeps trying to crawl off the altar. It's a constant every day picking up your cross. And like Isaac, go ahead and bound me. Put me on the wood. If this is what God wants, I'll go. Verse 10, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. At that moment, the angel of the Lord called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Now, from Abraham's standpoint, As a father, it's hard to imagine this. But if I put myself in his sandals and I try to imagine that moment, I would say, this son was given to me when I was 100 years old. And I thought that was impossible. And God did the impossible then. And if that's the case and this is what God wants, then it's his. Whatever it is, it's his. But it's interesting to me that that he waits until he's bound, he's laid up on the altar, and he raises the knife before the angel speaks. And and so can I just ask you this one? Uh, Do you trust God's timing? Do you trust his timing? Because some of you are in that moment right now, like you're at the end of your rope. You've been praying for something that hasn't happened. You're at the end of a job, and you don't know where the next one's at. You're struggling and making a payment. And God, you're waiting on that to, to kind of take care of itself, and you're working, you're doing everything that you can, and you're pouring your heart out to God going, God, where are you in this moment? And it's all about his timing. Can I tell you that God's timing is perfect? It's never late. We think it's late all the time, don't we? Like, and here's why we think it's late. You know why? Because we don't have trust. We want faith, but we don't want trust. We, we want God to provide it before the deadline, before I bind my son, before I pick up the knife. God's timing is perfect. Do you really trust him? Verse 13. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering. And Isaac jumped up and down, hooted and hollered, and had a great old day, Right? in place of his son. Could you imagine the celebration? Could you imagine getting to that moment? I, I look at that and I go, man, God is amazing. He provided even in that moment and, and Abraham trusted God's provision and his timing. Even if it came at the last minute in the 11th hour, he trusted his provision 
and his timing. Now, I want to wrap it up with this. The last part of this says this. Abraham named the place Yahweh Yireh, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because, look at this, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son, I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number, like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me. Then they returned to the, ser- to the servants and traveled back to Beersheba, where Abraham continued to live. Now, amazing story. In, and let's be honest, sometimes we, we don't even think of it as a real story. We just think of it as a, as a story written in, in some storybook somewhere. But the reality is this is Abraham's life, his walk with God, and this is what happened. And I believe that this story is all about trust. It's more than faith. It's more, it's more than just, yes, I believe God can do it. It's actually trusting that God will do it. And so let me ask you a question because I think we struggle with the difference between these two. What is the difference between faith and trust? Or is there a difference between faith and trust? Do you know the difference between those two? Uh, I found this great story years ago. I just love it. Uh, it's about a guy by the name of uh, Charles Blondin. And uh, June 30th, you might remember this, 1859, uh, nobody? Okay, 1859, he became the first person to actually tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. And he would go on to do it over the next few months. He would do it several times, like 23 times. And, and he would walk across the, the Niagara Falls on a rope. And, and 1859, I mean, I can't even imagine that, but he's walking back and forth. And, and what's fascinating about this is that he would actually do it like, um, he would do handstands in the middle of it. Uh, he would push a wheelbarrow across one time. He actually walked out with a small stove and set it down and cooked an omelet in the middle of it one time. I mean, the guy was just a showman. And he was just going way over the top. But pretty soon, people were starting to go, okay, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. And on um, August 30th, 1859, people were shocked when they looked up. And he actually uh, had a manager by the name of Harry Colcord. And Harry Colcord had climbed onto his back, and he was walking across the tightrope with his manager, Colcord, on his back. And he made it successfully, obviously, because the story exists. But, but let me tell you, uh, what I found interesting as I was reading through this story is that it was uh, later reported that Blondin actually told his manager, Colcord, he said, look up, Harry, you are no longer Colcord, you are Blondin. Until I clear this place, you are a part of me. Mind, body, and soul, if I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. I think that's the difference between faith and trust. The spectators all standing there, they had faith that he could do it. They'd seen him do it before. They had faith that he could do it again. But trust was his manager because he actually climbed onto his back, put his life in his hands. And there was nothing he could do. If, If he swayed, he had to sway with him. He couldn't even do what instinctively would come to him, which is like correct. He just had to be a part of him. I think this is such an amazing picture of the difference between faith and trust. I can't even imagine going across Niagara Falls on somebody's back and trusting them like that. 
But this is exactly what God does. He says, look, I want you to climb on my back. I want to carry you through this situation. I want to help you in this moment. And so often, like, okay, I believe, I have faith in you that you can do that. I just can't do it. But I have faith. Like, God, I have faith. You can, you can redeem me. You, you, can, you can provide. You can find me another job. You can rescue this relationship. I have faith. But we don't trust him to do it. And there is a big difference between faith and trust. I, I want to go back to my original question here. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Charles Nayer um, writes this little devo called Heart Talks, and he wrote one on trust that I just loved. He, he writes this, trust does not mean carelessness or indifference. Just to let things go and say, oh, I guess it will come out all right is not trusting. Just drifting heedlessly in the tide is not trust. Neglect is not trust. Trust is something positive, is a real something, not a mere perhaps or a maybe so. It is a, it is a definite attitude of soul and mind, a realization of our own need and of God's sufficiency. It is the reaching out and anchoring of ourselves in God. The soul who really trusts is not driven about by every wind. The waves beat against him as they beat against the anchored ship, but they cannot dash him upon the rocks, for he trusts in God, and it is strong because he has the strength of God. Trust does not mean shutting our eyes to the facts. There is no such thing as blind faith. Trust looks at things as they are. It sees the dangers that threaten and assesses them at their true value. It sees the need and it does not try to disguise it. It sees the difficulties and does not discount them. But seeing all of this, it looks beyond and sees God. It's all sufficient help. It sees him greater than the needs or the dangers or the difficulties and it does not shrink before them. There is no fear, there is no weary in trust. There is only peace, confidence, submission, and obedience. Do you trust like that? Do you trust God? See, I pray that each and every one of us would learn today to trust God because he is all-powerful. He's ever-present. He, he knows everything. He is sovereign. He isn't, he's the absolute truth. He's righteous. He's just. He's, he's merciful. He's faithful. He never changes. Can you trust him? Fully trust him. That's my prayer today, that we would learn to trust him the way Abraham did with every aspect of our life. We would trust his call. We would trust his plan. We would trust his provision, and we would trust his timing. Can I pray for that for us right now? Would you join me in that? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now just as a group of people who, uh, we're honest, we, we struggle with trusting you. God, it's hard for us because we can't see it and we wanna know the answer before the end. But Lord, so often, you, you turn around and you just say, please, just let me carry you. And Lord, in that moment, I pray that you would give us the strength, the humility to climb on to trust your call, to trust your plan, to trust your provision and your timing. 
God, in all these things I ask, that they're just creating us to be people that are shaped and molded to look more and more like you every day. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said. Thanks for joining us here at Mountain View Fellowship. We'd love the chance to meet you in person. We gather each Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 1955 Headlight Road in Strasburg, Colorado. If you aren't able to join us in person, we'll meet you right back here next week. God bless. Thank you.